Hello, welcome to Production Wise, the podcast in which we discuss the music and discographies of the great music producers in search of their signature sounds. I'm James, I'm going to be hosting the podcast today, but so is Graham, and he's with me as well. Hello there, Graham. Hello. It's really nice to have you with me today. It's nice to be here. Well, I really, really appreciate uh, Graham's company. Graham, Graham thinks that people can see his face when the, when he's recording the podcast, and that doing facial expressions is uh, is sufficient to support the things that he says. But as you know, they're not. Um, this week is very, very exciting because we're going to be talking about the work of the great and famed, probably one of the most like popular and actually uh, pop culturally current people that we've discussed on this podcast so far. Um, we're going to be talking about LP this week. Um, that's obviously a very exciting occasion. We love talking about LP, but we are not really going to be digging into the... There it is again, digging in. We're not going to be talking about the work that he's most celebrated for just yet. We're going to be doing that next week. This is going to be sort of the, the early years, the first half of his career, him as a label head, him as a rapper, him as a producer. What sort of stuff are we going to be talking about this week, Graham? We're going to be talking about uh, Company Flow. We're going to be talking about Aesop Rock, Cannibal Ox, Mr. Liff, and loads more. Quite a few more, I would say. Mm. Um, Graham, what's LP's real name? His real name is Jamie Maline. Okay, just wanted to get that out there ahead of the episode because I'm pretty sure we don't mention it in the, <laughs> in the episode at all. Um, <clears throat> But hey, look, that's his real name. If you ever see him on the street, I bet he'd really appreciate it if you called him by that rather than LP. I don't know. I don't know. Um, very much hope you enjoy this first half. Next half will be out next week where we talk about Run the Jewels and all the fun stuff and Killer Mike and stuff. But now we're going back into the underground, the late 90s, early 2000s. We sincerely hope you enjoy the first half of our exploration of the music of LP. Mr. LP. Are you familiar with the work of Mr. LP? I'm familiar I'm familiar with the work of, of, of Mr. LP, Graham. Um, yes, yes, I am. Um, LP is just one of those guys who has, obviously he's got much more of a mainstream presence now and kind of everybody knows who he is and he's, he's very, very revered. But I do remember seeing in like 2003 or something on MTV2, seeing the video for, for Stepfather Factory, um, the little animated video for it. And that I mean, that, that was like a little glimpse, because I kind of was into rap a bit at the time. And, you know, I liked people like Dilated Peoples and Jurassic 5 and, and stuff. And I thought that was very underground. But then seeing stepfather factory i was like wow there's a whole different universe there's a whole there's a there's a level below in the underground <laughs> you know that you can go into um which i, did, I didn't quite realize and that that seemed very very scary intimidating and grown up um and other than you know the, the, maybe a couple a couple of times he's popped up in the meantime like he's collaborated with mars volta and stuff uh but when it was really when Cancer for Cure and rap music and Run the Jewels came through where I was like, where I knew like what LP looked like and what he does and what his sensibility is. And I had a cousin, Dan, and he sort of 
gave me the gift of all this amazing music around 2004 or five. He just un- unloaded all of his hip hop collection and LP was in that. Um, so I sort of first listened to his jazz record and then I sort of got into him a bit more when I'll sleep when you're dead uh, in came out in 2007 and I saw him live and that was pretty cool at the Scala. Mm. Um, and I think afterwards I was kind of like, he got a bit bigger. He did cancer for cure and stuff. And then I think I was kind of like, he'll be all right without me. <laughs> and I didn't really like yeah. follow. So I listened to a bit of run the jewels, um, singles and stuff, but I've never really done a deep dive. I kind of, I don't, for some reason I was kind of like, you know, I was quite sort of fanatic about him then. And then as he got bigger and bigger, I was kind of like, he's doing he's fine. fine. He's all right. I'll, I'm sure I'll catch up with him sometime when I do a podcast with James in the future and we dissect his entire production discography. I knew, I, I knew when, when you recommended one of the tunes to me from RTJ4, I was like, wow, there's got to be something going on here if Graham is, if Graham is sending me one of those tunes. So LP kind of burst on the scene um, as part of a, a rap group, Company Flow, with, um, so it's him, uh, the other rapper Big Juz, and Mr. Len as well. Um, and they, they released an album called Fun Crusher Plus, which basically they released out of Fun Crusher and then Fun Crusher Plus, I think was the extended like CD version, similar tracks pretty much almost bar one. Um, and this was like a big moment in independent hip hop, right? Seemingly. I mean, that's the, that's kind of the way it, it seems to be viewed now. Um, I definitely had never heard of Fun Crusher Plus uh, or Company Flow or anything until LP's reputation was way more established, you know, in the, in the, in the last 10 years. Um, and, I, you know, you, you, I, I know you would have come up against this as well. This album is really hard to get hold of. Um, so I'd never, I'd never listened to this before. Um, but its reputation is 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 by now kind of kind of well known this this being a bit of a a turning point in underground hip-hop in america yeah i think people occasionally try and put this on spotify and l has to go on and take it down because i think there's sort of all sorts of sample rights and things that they just didn't think about figuring out back then um but this was it he was signed to raucous records for this one Mm -hmm. and i think as soon as you put it on you can tell that this is different to the other kind of rap that was out there at the time yeah i might well the impression i get i mean yeah it's it's also pretty evident early on that it's flipping amazing and like a <laughs> like a like a total a, a total classic kind of kind of undisputed the, the the atmosphere is so palpable instantly and and it, and it really carries on through these through these tracks but yeah, I would imagine in 1997, this this being a, a pretty like, what on earth is this? Um, I mean, this this is this is a, this is a long album. There's a lot of tracks on here. There's twenty. It must be at least twenty tracks on this, and it's at least an hour. Um, what what sort of what sort of sound do we have on this album, Graham? We've got a trademark of LP moving forward, which is weird kind of sci-fi 50s 60s 70s vintage sci-fi kind of loops and things coming in weird sort of bleepy bloopy electronics mm-hmm. coming in as well um sort of 
chopped and screwed samples. You know, he's got a very good ear taking a sample and then using it in a completely different kind of way, taking a vocal sample, making it to a beat, you know, taking a guitar and really like distorting it to the point where it sounds like a synth. Um, but yeah, this, this is quite a dense album. Yeah, super dense. In terms of how they've put it together. and con- it's, It feels quite constructed. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm definitely with you on the, on the 50s, 60s samples, but I think it's, it's deployed to achieve a, a really f- scary futurism. Um, it, it does sound genuinely futuristic. I mean, even the album cover, an alien with its foot on the skull of a different kind of alien, it's like, wow, <laughs> that's, some scary, that's some scary stuff. Um, and it, there's no doubt this is a, this is a super dense album. Um, but I think like with a lot of these very early projects from LP, they're intimidating. They're, they're big, but they're big on the album level, but they're kind of big on the track level as well. Like every, every song is, is long. You know, these are, these are generally five or six minutes long, each of these tracks. And they're long, not because like in later LP tunes, he's really building a song. It's because him and Juss are rapid fire MCs. They're both amazing MCs. And you are just getting verses and verses and bars and bars and bars and bars back and forth. And, um, you know, that's really, that's really what the event of this album is. That's, that's what it's about. It's to make space for them as MCs. Um, but yeah, every, every beat on this, every track on this is so carefully pieced together. Um, and initially for me, that was actually quite, quite difficult. It was quite an exhausting thing to really follow each of these beats and and pick out what all the different sounds are because they're all so jumbled up and kind of in opposition to each other a lot of the sounds on these tracks you know what i mean yeah i find it cool that it kind of has a, a definitive big beginning middle and end but there's a really nice sequence in the middle yeah um it's kind of like it, it feels like a full album but yeah all the tracks are all just sort of like fighting each other for air almost it's weird yeah yeah you, i mean I, th- I think also because i'm used to you know I, the later lp projects i've listened to a lot and so i have an understanding of what he does before i before going into this this process of listening to all his music so with these early company flow beats i'm i'm looking for that approach or i'm expecting that approach and it's just not there there are certain rhythms he likes and certain textures he likes, but his songwriting is not really in place on on this on this album. They're, they're, they're cipher beats to allow you to, to freestyle. But they are very composed. Yeah, they do have a lot of elements to them. But he really takes the time to build all the odd elements into this one thing that he might and he might shift between two different ideas or two different sections of this beat over the course of it. But it's not gonna it's not linear like his like his later tracks it, the album has a beginning middle and end but the songs don't necessarily you know they they have a destination um but it's all about just like building this dense beat and so i'm going like okay what's it going to do next is it going to come back is it going to stop i'm just overthinking this album instantly as soon as it came on and there's so much of it that you know an hour plus of it was was pretty disorienting and, and bewildering it, it kind of kind of tired me out um but that's just 
that's really nothing to do with the album. That's just how we listen to these albums for this for this process more than anything, I would say. Um, I did mention how lyrical this this album is. I'll probably ask you the same thing when we talk about Cannibal Ox, but what is the star of the show here? Is it about the MCs or is it about the production, Fun Crusher Plus? I think, I think it's... The, the production for me here doesn't get in the way of the MCs. You know, so I think the MCs, the way they trade on the on the tracks and the sort of also when they get their own moments to shine as well. It's I think it just sets the standard of LP being such a good MC. Like he's got such amazing flow. Yeah. He, I've never really heard him stumble too much over words. He's everything is very quite thought out even though you know he may be freestyling or whatever he's it doesn't it always seems quite easy like it just comes out of him it's also always very aggressive <laughs> no matter what yeah the sort of lyrics are no matter you know if it's a love song or whatever it's he's always very a bit bombastic yeah i mean yeah he always comes through very very hard and um yeah lyrically he's so he's so skilled and confident that he really this is about as freestyle braggadocious rap I mean, until you get to run the jewels, it's it's about as as freestyle, super lyrical that you're gonna as, as as it gets for several projects because he very quickly transcends this style of rapping and moves very much into character based stuff, concepts, storytelling. Um, I do also think, I mean, it, maybe he's not really my favorite rapper because um, this is not really what I love about rappers, but I I, I can't really think of many rappers that are better than LP. I do think he is pretty much one of the best alive. Um, there are different rappers who I think are maybe better at different aspects of things that he does. Like I do think Kendrick Lamar, Kendrick Lamar is better at getting into character and telling a story. I think he does it in a more sophisticated, artful way. Um, and there are people whose flows I prefer, and I prefer like the nastiness of Danny Brown and stuff. But LP kind of has it all. He 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 can he can do all of these things. And you'll get them all in one track, even even if it is a very concept-heavy track. Um, and I might even prefer him as an MC than as a producer. Um, I'll just say that at this stage. No, it's not to say that I don't like his production. But I think he is a seriously high-level MC. Um, and yeah, maybe we'll talk about like how how his how his production can kind of be out of place sometimes. I know we'll we'll, we'll get there though. Um, so what are the what are the what are the tracks that stand out to you here? For me, um, one I liked the most was Population Control, just because it was so sort of weird conspiracy theories and all that kind of thing. And like this is when conspiracy theories were like you you had to seek that stuff out. It wasn't like you could just go on YouTube and watch some stupid video. Like you had to go to a weird bookstore or like get a weird leaflet from someone. And like so there is like a there's a youthful vibe to some of these songs as well and you know they're talking about these like overriding pretty dark and heavy themes yeah yeah um and also like he just puts some weird stuff in it like i'm pretty sure there's maybe it was population control there's a bit like just like weird water noises and splashing and slushing happening oh yeah like like in the sewers and stuff that was weird yes um and then also crazy kings near the end 
uh, I just liked how dark and sluggish the beats were. And he can, he's so good at taking like a horn sample and turning it into like almost like a siren. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah, he loves a he loves a sort of siren panic alarm sound. He, I mean, that's just that just never goes. Um, and that that really hard horn stab on Crazy Kings, I absolutely love that song. By the way, um, it's so I know it, it it's so typical of the ambivalence of a lot of these tracks, or maybe just the like. There's no there's no one mood or atmosphere to to any of these songs. They're really built on juxtapositions and things that seemingly don't fit together. So Crazy Kings, yeah, that's kind of, I wrote Underwater, Outer Space. Um, that is very melancholy and soft. But then the hook is so is so boisterous and noisy and triumphant and really kind of like classic 90s rap. That whole, that whole section there, actually, surrounding population control, um, going from like, I think, Help Wanted, Population Control, Definitive... Lenkerism 89.9 that's just I mean that is that's a real world building section and I love how much the, the songs kind of share with each other bits of each track end up in in the, in the various um in, in the tracks surrounding them certain tracks actually act as intros to the next I love on one of them there's a pretty nasty freestyle um and it really feel, feels like a freestyle because you could hear people reacting to it in the room you know i mean it's like a it's a pretty it's a nice unrefined moment um yeah that's 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 kind of like the heart of the album for me that's the most like albumized bit you know um i also love i love the way it starts just because on on um bad touch example i mean you know it's a it's a great beat it's nice and dusty and it's not too weird too early I don't think we get properly weird until collude interlude. Um, and that's where things really start to get strange and scary and alien and futuristic. Um, but I just love the, the little echo on, on the, on the vocals because like it's really rapid fire, loads and loads of syllables, but the little tunnely echo that kind of hangs around it, it gives it this very spooky atmosphere, but it also adds to the bombardment of syllables as well. I just think that's a, you know, it's a very subtle thing, but I, I think it's a bit of a genius moment. Um, yeah. I mean, do, do, is there a weak moment on this? I kind of, I kind of don't think there is. I don't think so. I, I think it's, it's also interesting. It, it sounds a little bit dated to me, but it, he's got this whole sort of retro futuristic vibe yeah. that he's so good at. Yeah. Kind of makes um, it almost timeless. It didn't sound... Yeah, almost timeless. I'd say maybe some of his other stuff is timeless. Uh, his solo stuff, maybe. Um, yeah, it's hard to say much about this because it is just so good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in fact, before before we move on, because yeah, I mean, there's not much more to it than obviously it's a very influential, very well-made classic 90s hip-hop album. Um, I did want to give a shout-out to, to Vital Nerve because... It's just, it's just such a simple, it's such a simple beat and it's so, so effective. That little, doom, 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 doom. I mean, that could go on forever. You could have, you could just be, you could just have freestyling over that for an hour. Um, but also, I mean, my, my kind of number one track on this, um, the fire in which you burn, because I, I just think it's the most predictive of LP style later on. 
I might have said already, other than maybe certain rhythmic or textural tendencies, there's not a lot of later LP on this album. I do think The Fire in Which You Burn, the way it kind of attacks with the bass and the snare, and the weird sort of like fieriness to that percussion, I think you just get so much of that sort of stuff as as, as time goes on with LP's, with LP's uh, albums. So... After the release of this album, I think they got like a lot of good traction. They're about to do like a European tour. And I think Big Just decided he wanted to go on his own and go solo. Um, and that left them thinking what to do next. Um, and I don't think LP was ready to sort of retire the Company Flow name. So him and Mr. Len put out a instrumental album, uh, Little Johnny from the Hospital, mm. 1999. And that is really difficult to track down. I think I listened to mine on yeah. YouTube. Yeah, uh, I'm guessing it's for the sim- similar reasons to, to Company Flow, just just the, the amount of uh, samples and things like that on it. Is it that's a it's a bit of a weird thing with with the dissolution of Company Flow, or kind of like the dissolution of the lineup of Company Flow. I don't really. This is this is you know it's titled Instrumentals and Breaks. I don't really understand why this is an instrumental album. I you know it's it's I I, I get the loyalty to Just and wanting to do something a bit different but as good an album as this is you are like okay but why isn't lp rapping over it why is you know, <laughs> why, why am i listening to an instrumental album from this this rap crew um because it's not you know i i, I just don't get it what, do you think that was weird or yeah I, I wonder if it was like initially company flow was him and then when they started making the music he was like company flow is yeah. us and then when uh, Big Just left, he was like, well, if I just do it, you know, I I become big company flow. And maybe he felt like, or maybe he just wasn't ready. I don't know. But it must have thrown him through yeah. a bit of a loop, sort of getting geared up for this. Because I think they were like, you know, they were going to be kind of big. Um, so it kind of stopped them in their tracks. But I think it's fair to say that, you know, Raucous, when they got this album, probably were like, oh, what do we do with this? So I can see why they didn't really promote it. It's a cool vibe. I would love to have a copy to be able to just put on and listen to in full. Yeah, it's it's good. It's worth checking out if you're like, you know, an LP enthusiast, even if it does mean having to listen to it through YouTube. So after the sort of dissolution of company flow, um, Mr. LP decides to create a record label, Definitive Jux mm. Records. Also known as uh, Def Jux, um, for a while until Def Jam cottoned on and told them to stop. And before sort of putting out his first solo album, um, he decided to produce an album by Cannibal Ox, this really cool New York uh, hip hop duo, um, Vast Air and Vaudel Mega. And this album, The Cold Vein, released in 2001, it's just very cool. I like that he went and decided to do a production yep. first than just, you know, something that he was going to be fully front and centre. I don't know if that's something to do with him also having to, like, gear himself up to being the name LP, you know, putting himself out front and centre and not having a group. I don't know if this was, this was the last time he was just sort of, like, part of a group in a sort of I way. I can understand that. Um, but I can also see why. If I was, yeah, you know, it was a kind of like a safety. If blanket. I was, if I was really wanting to, if I was setting up a label to do to sign other people to, 
and it's not just a vehicle for me to 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 put my stuff out you would want you know you'd want to say like look i've got i've got a strong set of artists on here and i have faith in them i think they're really good that's what gives the label legitimacy over what he i guess he doesn't really think he's got enough of a name to sell a to sell a uh, a label on his own maybe This is quite a big oh, yeah. album. Um, I imagine you'd... Had you listened to this before? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, <clears throat> I did mention it in the, the Mad Lib episode because it was, you know, like Mad Villainy, it's one of those album covers and titles that are so legendary and always gets always kind of comes up. It's always on, like, lists of underground albums and stuff. Um, but this one lives up to... Well, lived up to my expectations of it a lot more. You know, it's, it's, um, it looks very underground. It's got, I mean, this is full of great titles and very well-named stuff on this album. Cannibal Ox, amazing name for a, for a crew. The Cold Vein, perfect title, amazing album cover. The silver and the, and the gray. Um, and it's just, yeah, there's tons of like scary song titles on this as well. Um, and it is it is that more futuristic, scary, dystopian underground sound. And it's a difficult album as well. You know, it's quite a lot. It's, it's a long album, like like uh, Fun Crusher Plus, long songs that are very dense. And it means, you know, like doing a big solid listen to it. I've not done that much over the years, but I definitely have come to these songs, revisited a bunch of them over the years. But listening to it this time around i actually think my preconceptions were were maybe not that spot on i think there's a bit more to this album than it just being a nasty underground album i don't know had you had you come into contact with this one before graham yeah i feel like i listened to it a fair amount uh when i was younger after dan sort of gifted me all his music um but it's not something i've revisited in a while um and when i did revisit it this time I was just blown away about how cool Cowboy Locks are, their style and delivery, their flow, the way they trade mm -hmm. rhymes. And it's fun. There's there's a lot of fun in this album that I don't remember the first time listening to. Just the way it's been produced, you kind of sound like you're in the room with yeah, them. Yeah, I, th I think so much of the reputation of this album is that it's, yeah, it's that really underground sound. And it's, I, I, I've always thought of it as like a very serious album. Um, and I think more than anything, it, is, it betrays their youthfulness, that approach. You know, these are young, these are, they're really, really young on this album. They're young, I think they're younger than, than LP. Um, and they do kind of sound it because they're, you know, they're, they're hyper lyrical. They're incredible rappers, um, but, but I think particularly Vast Air is very, very verbose, and it's very written, and it's full of it's full of um, like unnecessary vocabulary. Sometimes, <laughs> you know, he, he kind of talks around a subject for the sake of complicating his 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 um, his syntax. Whereas it might be better if he was a bit more direct. But I kind of like that because it's so aspirational. You know, he taught, he, they, 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 they're, so, you know, they're so amazingly lyrical and expressive on this. Um, but you know that they live in squalor. You know what I mean? You know that, you know, they're living on no money and <laughs> they're not making any money from doing this. 
So it is really about like we want to be the rappers that we dream of being. We want to we want to sort of transcend this 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 thing that we do. So I I, th I think that aspirational element to their performance on this is great. And look, also they're not amateurs. You know what I mean? They're they're no joke as MCs on this album. It is an amazing performance. Do you have a preference between the two, or do they do they kind of mesh together for you uh, between Vaudelmega and they mesh. They mesh uh, together a little bit for me. I do find it hard to sort of rap pretty much all music, um, differentiating between vocals and music. I kind of like hear it more as like yeah, just sounds. Me too. Um, so I often have to sort of look up lyrics and stuff if I'm really listening to the lyrics. But it's interesting with LP as well being, you know, producing these guys. It You kind of, you can hear him a lot in it. But it feels like it's still their album. Yeah, I, I yeah, I know. Do I agree? do. And I, at the beginning of um, the beginning of this process, I thought, oh yeah, it's just you know, it's very LP, typical LP, or it's LP like establishing his sound. But the more you listen to his solo stuff, and then you come back to this album, you do realise he's really tailored it to them, um, and he's trying to put them in the best yeah. light and give them a real mood and and create a world and make something visual. I don't think you could. Obviously, this could be an LP solo album. He could take all these beats and make an album out of it. Um, but I don't think he's really like repeating himself. You don't you don't get this mood exactly that's built up on different albums. You get again, you get certain things that are just typical LP as far as building a rhythm or whatever uh, as is concerned. But this particular type of scary futurism is is pure Cannibal Ox. I think pure Cold Vein. Um, yeah, I mean, who, who, who is, who is the dominant, uh, force on this album? Is it Vaudelmega and, and, and Vast Air or is it LP? I think his, his production is very good at sort of, it, it doesn't ever get in the way of them. I don't think he sort of supports them quite well. I think it's best seen in the opening track. Iron Galaxy is such a good... Again, amazing, amazing title. It's such a good sort of um, viewpoint of what the album's going to be like. And he takes um, a sample by Giorgio Moroder, Leopard Tree Dream, that weird sort of oh, no, no, pulsating no. synth that goes on. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 then, and then it also, it's so dreamy yeah. and sinister, oh, you know, and then they're coming in on it as well. It, it's, I, th I think. I think they, there's a there's a healthy battle between them and him as to who's yeah. more dominant. I don't think either well, I, one wins. That really uh, with this as one. yeah, you're as a as a as a tone setter, Iron Galaxy is amazing, and it's like I I I, I uh, the first time I heard that that little synth line, that little ascending synth line for me, it's the escalator into space. Like it's so it's so space age and frightening, and like but it's also quite inviting as well, um, and as bleak as this track is you're right listening back to it it really goes between sort of scary and frightening and cold and hard and really blissful and dreamy um and that's all over this album it is way more ambivalent than i than i thought it was um and you mentioned how how you know they don't you know it's not like lp is just all over this and it's his album that opening verse from Vaudelmega 
again, I'm like you, I'm much more about flow and um, the way he just is so welded to the hi-hat and the, and the snare, his flow just is totally uninterrupted. It feels like for like two or three minutes, he doesn't breathe. Um, and it's not like, you know what I mean? It's not like one technique that LP uses a lot on his own vocals and, and with Killer Mike as well and a lot of people is his own vocals are interrupting his lines. Like they, 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 they really like before a line has ended, the next line begins. We really don't get that on this, on this Cannibal Ox album. It's really, really natural. And it, it, it does feel like their album, you know what I mean? It's like, we're not trying to give you this overwhelming voice or whatever it is that LP is trying to achieve with that. It's just about being in the room and getting all your rhymes out. Um, yes yeah, iron galaxy is just just incredible but i think i it, it's such a good track you can almost get stuck on it you know what i mean you, you, you can get that i think that's why, I, why i've not listened to this album so much over the years because i love that and i don't really make it much further beyond that i'm i can i can fall victim to that kind of thing a little bit what about this album as a whole what is the mood on this album it's kind of like a slow pulsating doomy kind of dread from the sort of production side with these kind of like nice raw vocals. Like I love the interplay in um Raspberry Fields what tune? where he kind of says, I think he, yeah, that amazing tune. And I think musically there's like three Brian, Eno <laughs> samples thrown in there from different songs. And I think, you know, when you think about this album, it sounds like an unfinished kind of Brian, Eno know, right. weird soundtrack to a film that never got made. But then just the way he's kind of like, he's like, oh, shit, I said a word <laughs> twice. And then he keeps like yes. restarting and stuff. Yeah, and I think I think the he try when he when he's restarting his verse, he tries a couple of different approaches. He says one lyric and he, he kind of s- stops that line of attack. Um, and then he and then I think the line he ends, ends up going with makes reference to trying again. I don't know. I, I I do I do like that. You're like okay okay. Well I I'll I'll get to the end of the track as long as I can do it. I'll you know I, I know what I'm doing here. Um, I just I I mean, Raspberry Fields is 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 really one. I think one of the best instrumentals we'll talk about on this on this whole episode. Um, but I think the general mood that gets conjured up on this album is is it's a futurism, but and it, like a technological futurism. So it feels like you've moved into a future where there is advanced technology, but you're not, you don't get to enjoy that technology. You don't get to benefit from that technology because you're still poor. You're still living the same life. You might've been living in the nineties or the seventies or the eighties or whatever. Um, You might still be working at McDonald's, um, but there's this, there's this amazing world going on out there that you have nothing to do with. You're probably actually suffering because of the, the how technologically advanced the world has become. It's this like shitty, used up, scary future. The real future. Yeah, I guess it's a bit like those Blade Runner films where the portions where they're like you're on the streets right at yeah. the bottom and everyone is sort of high up enjoying the life and you're sort of still struggling. Yeah, there's nothing through. exotic about and it. And yeah, it's just, yeah everyone else is doing well and you're sort of having to deal with all the fallout of how they're doing well by getting on with it. Did you have any um, other standout tracks? I didn't have any standout on tracks on this one, Graham. Uh, no, no, of course I do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, what, 
the, the, the thing is with, with this with this album, like um, each song is is you know like 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 on Fun Crusher Plus, each song is so well crafted and and so full of so full of contradictions and 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 just just strange changes of mood and every single song gets interrupted by fear and and th- then they'll move into moments of bliss and sometimes it's just straight up funky so it's such a genius album i i don't think you could really say like these are the best songs because it really is such a complete thing even though it's such a vast album um but just to draw attention to a couple vain is one that i i um that was sampled by mr motherfucking Esquire, who we'll talk about a little bit later on uh, some of lp's um later work he sampled that on his tune chicken shop i mean basically just raps over it it's a it's a it's a, it's a um it's a mixtape that so it's a pretty rough thing that, that album but he turns that he totally changes the mood and makes that actually quite a funny song um on chicken shop so but i love i love the bop the kind of weird 50s that carries it through um uh, i mean scream phoenix i think that's quite a glorious ending lp likes to have a big ender on his albums like we'll talk about a lot of like epic sprawling songs but i i think scream phoenix is one of the best just because it is so it's so beautiful and i mean the whole album has this feeling of like a mothership hovering over it but you really get it on scream phoenix but it's just so it's just so beautiful full of these like laser arpeggios and stuff but my my, my, my two big tunes are um the f word big lyrically not really my favorite just because it's that kind of like you are trying to talk they're trying to sort of like do a love song but in this like hyper lyrical way <laughs> where they don't directly talk about it um but i just think that the 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 melodies on it are so beautiful and blissed out and it's got such a great funk to it um but probably the the moment on the album for me is is uh is pigeon just because it's it manages to be so dejected and funky at the same time and that it's led by that the little bass line with the natural harmonics on it so it's just so painfully sad and and beautiful yeah that kind of kind of like it's not one of the more boisterous moments on the album but it is it is one of the most beautiful but i mean you you could i could say the same about stress rap and battle of asgard and i mean tons of stuff and what, what what stands out for you graham for me i quite like the two tracks where uh lp jumped in with them Ox Out the Cage and Ridiculoid. <laughs> yeah, especially like Ridiculoid because it was just, cool. it's quite fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, fun sort of bars on that. But yeah, it, it's kind of a, is it a per- probably a perfect album, right? It kind right? of is, yeah. And, and th- th- there are those those fun moments. It needs it. You know, if those, if those kinds of things weren't there, it wouldn't be a perfect album. Um, you know, you do have to get the feeling that these two are friends. <laughs> you know what i mean they're they're, they're enjoying their life yeah. together i'm pretty sure they shared a bedroom um while this was going on so i th- and, and they had this real symbiotic almost telepathic relationship so that it isn't this totally composed serious album works for it you know it it, it stops it from being kind of like okay great wow it's the most underground thing i've ever heard brilliant you know <laughs> it's better than that you know what i mean next year lp finally steps up to the plate 
and releases Fantastic Damage, his debut solo album under the name LP. Um, I think he was working on it at the same sort of time as the Cold Vein. Have you? Do you have much history of this album? Have you listened to this before? Other than the the sort of minute of Stepfather Factory I saw on MTV Two back in the day, I've never listened to this album. I think the the the, sound, the, the, the album cover is always hovered around for me you know i've seen it here and there but uh i think i've always gotten it confused with i thought it's fantastic damage company flow is fun crusher lp you know I, they're all kind of a bit wishy-washy in my mind so this is the first time i'm really like well listening to the album i don't know what else i was going to say there <laughs> <laughs> what about you graham uh, i think i had heard it uh when i was younger um Maybe when I was like getting into his second album, I sort of went back and listened to it because right. I think there was a time when you could listen to it, um, or maybe it was uh, Napster or whatever. But right. I haven't listened to it since. What I do like about these albums, and uh, it makes LP sound very savvy and cool whenever he talks about them, is that you can contract all the titles, so you know, like. Company flow is always referred to as co-flow and canox and fat. This album is ah, always fan dam. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I like that. I like it. So going into this, I noticed that there's there's such a different vibe from Colvane. It's it's interesting yeah. that he was thinking about. And I think maybe even certain tracks he might have you know maybe thought they were for this and then given it to Colvane or vice versa, but. Yeah, it's a completely different kind of beast, right? Again, other than the stuff that we'll probably talk about when we talk about what is LP's sound, other than the stuff that is unmistakably LP, I don't think there's any similarity in mood, really, to, to the Cold Vein. Um, I kind of can't really tell what the mood of this album is. I will admit here, I, I, I do find this to be probably the most difficult album to get my head around that doesn't mean i think it's a bad album at all i did enjoy it but like a lot of these these early ones for lp it's really vast very long lots of tracks lots of long songs um and so and and, and again because every song is such an event and is so meticulously put together for me is is quite a challenge to see like what is the similarities so i i if i so the things i define this album by are a little bit more spurious than than the mood it's really like oh there's a lot of guitar riffs on this you know he uses he uses a lot of like very staccato percussive guitar stabs on here he uses a lot of stabs generally in his stuff because he's very influenced by like 80s and 90s hip-hop but guitar really comes into play on this i also think you still get in the very hard beats and that's actually getting a bit more established the very frenetic beats that have percussive elements that hit you from lots of different heights and lots of distances and impact you in different ways but do you think i i think this is not a particularly it's a quite a pleasant listen as hard as it is like there's no shrillness or noisiness or irritatingness <laughs> to this album do you know what i mean it kind of hits quite softly and pleasantly a lot of the time yeah, I think even though the beats are quite sort of crackly and distorted, um, they're not they're not harsh. They're soft beats, you know, the way they it's been mixed and it sort of lands in your ear. I, I like how 
Elle is always good at doing uh, setting the tone with the first track. Um, and the fact that like the first track is the title track, it just has this really weird vocal sample um, from I think it's from "You're a Lady" by Peter Skellen. And like in the initial, his original song, it's just him at the piano singing this quite oh. normal sort of, you know, doing a little bit of spoken word stuff to set the tone for his own stuff. And then Elle's taken this and sort of chopped it and just made it sound really shrill and weird. Um, yeah. And then you get like these sort of beats and scratching coming on. It sort of just shows you that like this is going to be Elle showing you that. Yeah, I think in his mind, he he thinks he is making like interesting like 90s standard 90s hip hop. You know, maybe he's mm-hmm. thinking like he's going down like more kind of public enemy style. But like that's how it trans yeah. that's how it translates. Like it comes out with all this like weird sci fi stuff deep in the mix and like the, a nice sort of snap and crackle. I found on this like I, I would like to listen to this on vinyl I, I do think also the interesting thing about about the opening track is um it takes a little while for his vocals to come in um it's 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 pretty it's very moody and kind of atmospheric for probably about two minutes or so and then when his verse comes in it's really quick really rapid fire and cartoony and then, and then it's just gone you know what I mean um and it's hard to like the only lyrics I could pick out were when he said "fun crush this," which I liked. <laughs> I liked a lot. And he mentioned Lucas Arts graphics. And as a big fan of of, of Monkey Island and and uh, Day of the Tentacle, I, I very much appreciated that. But it was like, yeah, he's like, he's like just saying all this mad stuff about Lucas Arts graphics, and then the, the song's gone. And it's like, wow, he's you know. And and I think we'll see a lot of that. Him taking his vocals out of the picture. Not that this album and the next few are not full of his vocals, but he's happy to let songs be a bit instrumental and build. I think he does. He's getting more into making songs from from this album um, going forward. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, was there anything else that? Uh, I mean, when, when I when I say that there's, it's hard to get my head around the the, the tone and the, the image of this album. Do you agree? I mean, do you think there was a bit of there was something unifying this album a bit more? I think the the main thing I got from this album was how he does his production, the whole collage sort of like layered throw stuff at the mm-hmm. canvas and see what sticks. And then now looking at the album artwork, it makes kind of a bit more sense. There's oh yeah. It's like very abstract futurism stuff going on there. Loads of different elements. I've never really like paid attention to the artwork too much on, oh, this, a great album cover, on yeah. this one but actually it, it does kind of sound very slimmer to that it's very dense and thick to sort of pass through i found yeah well it's definitely we're definitely getting the first signs of him going incredibly hard on the percussion like i did mention that it it actually does hit quite nicely but there's way more blown out bass and like really like buildings being demolished kind of symbol hits and stuff like that it's just loads of like crashes and explosions um and that only you know that's not going anywhere uh for, for lp that's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger but other than maybe tracks that he had produced kind of on the one-off for people in the meantime that i think that kind of comes out of nowhere on this album I don't think there's much, you don't get much of that on, on Cannibal Ox at all. That's such a different mood. That's not like a big, mad, aggressive album. That's a much more dejected album. Um, 
But here he comes through very hard and energetic and at a, at a crazy pace as well. Like each of these songs really, really flies by in a blur and they, they, they just really attack from so many different angles. Um, and maybe that is it. I suppose one thing to mention with this album is um, I think we, we do get, this is a long album, so we get a lot of LP, you know, and you know, there's no shortage of LP verses and things like that. But um, there is a different lyrical approach. And that does, I, I think that lends itself to the more composed songs and the, you know, the, the, the longer instrumental sequences and things like that. It was a tune from Fun Crusher Plus that we didn't mention just because uh, lyrically it's, it stands out, but it wasn't one of my favourite songs um, musically. Uh, Last Good Sleep, which is basically an LP solo track where he's talking about um, his his really difficult home life when he was a kid and talking about his dad. And that's the beginning of him, uh, I, I would say, becoming a, a writer as well as a rapper, like really talking about a subject. And he takes it one step further here because he is such a great lyricist where it's like, okay, I could talk very directly about my life, but I have... I've ideas and scenarios and stories I want to tell. So he really embodies characters and creates fictions here and a lot going forward. Um, and that is kind of most clear going to Stepfather Factory, where he's, you know, again, he's kind of talking about fathers, but previously it's very personal and autobiographical. On this track, it's very conceptual. Um, and I think you get a lot of that across this album. That said, I, I think that's probably the hardest track to enjoy on this on this album, Stepfather Factory. I mean, if, I saw the video of it, so that says to me that it was a single. And that to me is like totally bananas that you would put this that song out as a single. You know what I mean? It's um, like the, 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 the chorus hook is so full of noise. Like it's the one bit on the album where it's a bit like, with the noise that's a, that's a lot it's got all these mad samples and like melodies from other songs coming up and the way he performs the hook over that it's like he's trying to be heard over all this noise maybe that is some conceptual idea uh, i don't know but um me listening to it was like wow that's that that's not very nice to listen to i could i could do without that um that's probably my low point of the album what are your highlights on this one graham I quite liked uh, Accidents Don't Happen, featuring Cage and Camus. Um, and also Laser Faces Warning, I thought was just a nice, fun tune. It was fun. Um, I really enjoyed uh, Dr. Hell No and Praying Mantis. We get um, Vast Air coming back. And that's a weirdly stripped-back song for this album. It doesn't have that mad maximalism, hyper-aggressive quality to it it's just like a, a funny little bass line and a drum beat um what i like about it so much is it's got like a it's got a robot voice graham anytime he uses <laughs> a little transformer voice i'm i'm sold it's it's one of my favorite we'll come to my other of of, of uh of, um, my favorite uh techniques and tropes that are throughout lp's music later on but for now anytime a robot voice pops up i'm i'm happy um do you th- I mean, do you think this album works overall? Do you think it like kind of has its place with the the Fun Crusher Pluses and and Cold Veins? Yeah, I think it's it's a good stepping stone on his own discography between 
uh, Fun Crusher Plus and his sort of next full proper album, mm. um, "I'll Sleep When You're Dead." Uh, but I think it's 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 a bit weird having it next to Cold Vein and then also his next record that we're we'll talking about in a second. I, d- I don't think it necessarily makes sense in that sense. <laughs> It's just so different. Those are so different. Cold Vein is such its own thing. It's kind of like you should take that out and it should stand alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm with you. So next, uh, he decided to do a collaboration album with Blues Continuum, which I think are like a jazz duo or trio, and I think they sort of had different members coming in. Um, and he made High Water with them in 2004. And it, I think he did like sort of the arranging and production and composing and that kind of thing, and then sort of let them go for it and be his kind of players. Had you heard this before? No, no, I didn't. I didn't know about this one. What about you? I think I had heard it uh, initially. I think it might have been the first LP thing, like production that I'd ever heard, which is right. a weird way to sort of go into his work because it's kind of unlike anything he's ever done since. Yeah, really. No, so yeah. There's no. This doesn't. This doesn't pop up again anywhere. I don't think. This is a real one-off. And now, having us done the Mad Lib uh, discography, it, 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 I can't help listening to this and then sort of comparing it to Mad Lib's own jazz stuff, just because they're the only two I can think of where someone has gone in a hip hop, mainly hip hop MC producer, and delved into the world of jazz. Uh, but this is kind of a bit of a different beast to Madlib stuff. Yeah, I, 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 I think it's, um, yeah, it's it's a fair comparison to make, um, but it doesn't really reflect on LP very well, just because Madlib, obviously, there's loads more jazz. I'm still finding more jazz, honestly. Um, <laughs> this week alone, I found about four projects that I didn't even know about. Um, and Madlib is really trying to—he's trying to create a fantasy. You know, he's he's inventing bands and musicians, and he's really trying to—I don't know, like 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 rewrite history and and place his jazz into the lineage of of real jazz recordings that happened decades earlier. Um, whereas there's nothing conceptual going on. Uh, or there's nothing kind of like aesthetically conceptual going on in this album. He's not trying to create a fantasy or a fiction. This is LP trying something different, doing a collaboration and sort of, you know, just trying to make the best of it, I would suppose. Um, so you, you've listened to this album a lot. Have you, have, have you, have you like stuck with it over the years or do, were you just listening to it back then? I listened to it mainly back then, but I think a couple of years ago I did attempt it. Um, okay. I did find this a bit difficult to sort of delve into because other than the sort of tracks where L kind of takes the lead, I do find it a little bit samey. Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of like admirably concise, I suppose, you know, it's not, it's, it's not like some of the, <laughs> the Mad Lib albums that are 80 minutes long and stuff. This is a nice, like 40, 40 minute odd album. Um, and even that, you know, it does have a bit of improvisation and looseness to it, which is quite pleasant. But yeah, I know what you mean. I think that the, the recording isn't strong enough for the looser songs to really be all that great to listen to. I think 
the more composed tracks where you can feel um, LP's kind of songwriting stamp a bit more are the ones that work best. So um, was it Sunrise Over Brooklyn? Um, it's nice enough and it actually does build quite nicely over the course of the 10 minutes, but the interplay and the improvisation is not that interesting and it doesn't sound that great. Like I think the way the pianos are recording, sorry, the way they're recorded kind of sounds fine, but when the more intense moments, you can really hear like the, the hammers really hitting in the, in the piano and it doesn't sound that nice. It just sounds, it sounds quite, quite harsh and unpleasant. Um, a song like uh, Get Your Hands Off My Shoulder Pig that really sounds like it could be a latter day LP album closer or something melodically you know what I mean it, it's, it's, it, you, can, you can hear his, his presence there a bit more um, I suppose what I did enjoy about this album is it had a very in the room feeling to it, it sounded quite off the cuff even though I'm sure it was it's, you know, a bit more carefully put together than that but you can hear people like tuning up and chatting before they start um before they start performing and when the songs really hit like dramatic heights you can feel there is real energy in the room and real interplay and chemistry between the players but yeah i mean other than the nice like bit of a mood album like it's got a nice like chilled out feeling to it every now and again it's not really the, the strongest bit of the discography but it's like again it's like well it's trying something different you know it's, and it's and it's not like a huge high profile release it's just a nice little album that if you're in the mood for it it's there yeah it's cool that he went and did it you know i think it obviously must have helped him gain some like experience um working in a different way but yeah for me it's you know i like putting it on every once in a while but it's hard to just critically really dissect it mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. just you know it's okay um L has done a couple of partial productions over the years. Um, I don't know if we'll, you know, if we've discovered all of them, but we'll definitely talk about a few. Uh, the first one that comes to mind is um, Mr. Lift's I Phantom album in 2002. L did, uh, I think, three tunes on here. Uh, a Glimpse at the Struggle, Success and The Now. What did you think about these tracks? Um, I thought some of them were were really great. Um, and w when is this from? Is this from 2002 or three? Yeah, 2002, I believe. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, I think you just got, you just got like a a nice array of of a very kind of high spec, slightly more boisterous. You know, this is not this is not Cannibal Ox at all. It doesn't have that that no. that kind of grainy texture to it. There's a lot more clarity on here. Um, and I think it was Return of the B-Boy had a great, like, multi-phased beat switch thing going on. It, it, by the end, it sounded like um, Scatterbrain by um, or, um, by DJ Shadow. You know, his kind of, like, drum and bass song that, that ends um, introducing? LP did that really well. Uh, you know, I, I, thought, I thought that was just, pu pulled it off surprisingly well. That was probably my favourite um, track of these little set of this little set, but I thought a glimpse at the struggle was great as well. It had that real feeling of being swamped up by the city. You know, you could really feel the city like looming around you on that song as it went on. 
some 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 really some really cool stuff. I liked it. I quite like that this is a concept album as well, and it's mm. got its own little story going on, and it's sort of like him doing a like conscious hip hop. As I like, right. I think also you you get a bit of variety from L uh, in the song "The Now." He's got like a really nice gospel sample and funky guitar going on. Mm-hmm. Um, success with Aesop Rock is quite sort of melancholy and sad. Yeah, I think I think he's done some interesting sort of additions to this album. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, the next artist we can talk about is Cage. Had you ever heard of Cage before this? Heard of Cage. Um, he's a bit of an, like an underground rap legend and i think he he often comes up when lp's mentioned but i've never heard any of his music before you i i think i had a copy of hell's winter that i really? uh, on cd that i got from a charity shop <laughs> the really great album cover must have drawn you to it yeah i think i got it in like 2010 um and found it somewhere uh so i had to sort of i just remember thinking this was kind of like the birth of emo rap, right? Yeah, there's a bit of a new metal emo vibe with this guy for me. Um, look, I mean, look, look, I, I don't like Cage as a rapper. You know, I mean, I don't like, I just don't, I just, there's just something about him I don't like. And like I've said before, it's a bit of a Goldilocks thing with me and rappers. So it doesn't really reflect on him so much because he's clearly, he's clearly a pretty good writer. Like, more or less all of these songs have a story and a concept and you can kind of tell he's in character a lot of the time. So, and his writing is pretty strong in that sense, but I just, this sort of edginess and angst doesn't really do much for me, you know? Um, but LP has these sorts of proclivities. I think it sounds very, very illicit when I say proclivities, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sounds like some terrible thing that he gets up to in his private life um but you you know lp likes to tell a story as well and the way cage puts songs and lyrics together they do they ask for a bit more of an elaborate production and a bit more of a you know setting the scene taking your time um and so lp gets the chance to stretch out a little bit and he's not just trying to make the beat that bangs hardest um so i i I do appreciate um i do appreciate that but yeah what did i write on the subtle on the subtle art of the breakup song this guy is a creep (laughs) (laughs) but maybe he's in character i don't know did you did you enjoy this stuff graham i think at the time i was like just hungry for anything that was alternative hip-hop but listening to it now i think i was just like "Eh." it's interesting to see l sort of use a bit more of his rock influence coming in there yeah. like cage is definitely more of like more into rock than uh, the other people that l's worked with before and hearing him also like putting some nice clean strings and things you know a bit more orchestral vibe especially on yeah. the title track uh and lord have mercy felt quite cinematic mm-hmm. hey, uh, you know this album felt for me like he's given it a bit of a cinematic edge yeah. but i just can't i'm just not that into cage himself what about the other album what was that one called depart from me uh mm. which was his third solo album uh released 2009 on def jux 
I thought for this one, like, it was interesting. I think there were a couple tracks. Nothing left to say, and I lost it in Havertown. Had, like, a chiptune influence. I don't know if maybe yeah. that that was around at the time. Maybe that's why. I definitely got a, uh, on I Lost It in Havertown, a, a hyperdub kind of influence. Those, like, really arcadey synths, um, which I, I like. You know, I, I really love that hyperdub sound from the 2000s um nothing left to say i thought had a had a pretty good like industrial feel to it yeah you know the way it had this kind of just like smash smash kind of very hard pulverizing beat i thought that was pretty good um i did kind of think that um oh teenage hands no 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 and and it, that See, wait wait when yeah, you gone. said on the other album you were like this guy's a creep when i listened to that i was like yeah this guy's a creep <laughs> yeah yeah even if it is it even if he's in character it's still it's just a weird song to lay down yeah, why would you listen to it I, it's, yeah it's, listen, uh... listen to it made me feel uncomfortable yeah i get you as as an artist wanting to wanting to do that but me as a listener i don't want to hear it um, uh, yeah keep... and also it, it was just like really bad for me rock band instrumentation you know what i mean like it had like a yeah. real drum kit sound and guitar sound which i you know it's just like i just did nothing for me at all but eating its way out of me so i thought that was basically cage really getting his approach right for him like so it had that very angsty emo feel to it but he had you know eating its way out of me it's a very like evocative title it, it his performance did kind of sell that to me. Like he just, he felt like this, this like sludge man, you know what I mean? It was just, it was just all the horrible things inside him are killing him. And I, th I thought, you know, the way he worked with the instrumentation on that, set the mood, used the, the theatricality of the performance, I thought worked pretty well on that. But I mean, yeah, Cage, this is just not my sound at all. Yeah. And I just don't think it, yeah, it didn't really do anything for me. And there was not much I could, say about it no no but that that's his main sort of um partial productions he goes into he's he's more lp's more into sort of crafting an entire album really um which is quite rare in rap uh the only it, other no, person definitely. i can think of is bad lib uh mm. and kanye maybe like mm. well, most... I, I think also with um with uh with lp at this point in time in the 2000s He's a label head and, you know, we, we will have listened to a lot of the same interviews. He talks a lot about like at the time I was worried about payroll and things like that, you know. So that's his, that was his job. So you'll see during this period, a lot of executive producer credits, which is a bit of a different story to being the producer in the room, collaborating with the artist. I think that's more like shaping you know the, the approach and wanting to have a, a say in it i don't think it's quite so intimate you know it's not like the, those are lp beats on the, on those albums i might be totally wrong about what an executive executive producer gets it's just impressive I, I get um so yeah in the 2000s we'll talk about like who would you want him to collaborate with at the end it's like i just wish during the 2000s there was just a bit more work because yeah i mean he's just a busy boy at, the, at this period of time and not all of it is music yeah um so this is the album that i saw him do a, a live tour in support of uh this is i'll sleep when you're dead 
for LP, uh, his second like solo studio album proper, um, released in 2007 by Defensive Jux. Had you heard this? Um, only Tasmanian Pain Coaster, I think. That um, this is the sound of what you can't, whatever it's called, <laughs> the little the little hook. I remember that very strongly, and I, I just remember that that um, that Mars Volta were on it. I just wanted to mention ahead of time. It, uh, uh, has Mars Volta come up in every single episode we've done so far this series? Did 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 they do a project with uh, with um, with Sylvia Robinson? Uh, not that I know of, but <laughs> who knows? Really, she got the credit for that one. They're really popping up a lot in, in series two of production wise. Yeah, and that's why we'll never cover their main produced albums. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh, but no, I mean beyond that, n- not really. I don't think this that's that song really appealed to me when it when it came out. But I mean, had you listened to this album before? I mean, obviously you saw him live on it. Yeah, um, I think the overly dramatic truth had a bit of a breakout moment. There was definitely one album that one song from the album where he had a music video where he was sort of in a Guantanamo Bay outfit and he was being dragged on the floor. I can't remember which one that was, oh, but I remember yeah. that getting a lot of coverage. Um, but I feel like the overly dramatic truth was quite a big thing. I'll probably look it up and it probably wasn't released as a single. Sure. But yeah, I liked this album at the time. Uh, I, I like it now. I, it's interesting that Tasmanian Pain Coaster is the tone setter for this one. Um, having Omar and, and Cedric in there, it's, yeah, it's cool. It, it kind of cemented him as, by this point, I think he was seen as like uh, a cool alternative hip-hop guy for, for the rock crowd. Yeah, I remember his gig, everyone, it was a more of a rock audience than, you know, and I think he was playing festivals and stuff. Um, but that's pretty wacky song to start the album off with. Yeah, well, you know, that opening... Um... The opening sample where they're like, if you fell through space, you, th- you know, all that kind of stuff. I don't know about you. That really takes my mind back to 2007. Like there was, the, there was, the, we've spoken about like post 9-11 feelings and stuff like that. But that sting of like talking about falling through space and setting on fire and falling forever and going faster and faster and faster. That kind of thing. I don't know what it says about what I was up to at the time in 2007, but, um, I used to think like that, you know what I mean? I used to have all these like scary thoughts. Like the two thousands <laughs> were a bit of a scary time in, 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 in that way. You really felt like you were, I know it kind of always feels that way, but it really felt like we were, we were heading towards like the end of something. We were, we were moving towards this like scary future. I, I definitely remember that sample from back then of just being like, Oh, that's too scary. I can't listen to that. That's, that's, that's too charming with, with, with the scary thoughts I'm thinking, you know? Um, I definitely, I definitely think this is the, this is like an anxiety-inducing album to listen yeah. to. And you're right. Like At that time, there was a lot of anxiety. I remember the gig starting with Smithereens. Um, and, you know, that that starts off with, I think, like a bit of a sample or something. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, there's this, like, air raid siren. Yeah. Uh, and I remember at the gig, sort of, like, it was all dark. And then suddenly, it was just flashing, like, red. Red lights were flashing. And they came out of nowhere. And they were just rapping. And it was kind of like, oh, my God, this, this is incredible. But also super unnerving way to start yeah, am i gig. gonna get beaten up here yeah it was great it was, i think <laughs> that, that's one of the only few gigs that i truly remember a fair amount of because of stuff like that like it started with such a weird intense song um 
that that sort of isn't i think there's a hook in smithereens where it's just sort of someone saying i'm crying over again and again yeah yeah i i i, I don't want to um because I, I listened to this album in in full today just just because again these these 2000s lp albums i struggled to to keep in my head so i i revisited it and it kind of didn't help actually it's still a bit elusive for me but i i, I really think this album is great i just want to i just want to make that clear so that, that hook on Smithereens, it's indicative of something that I think LP uh, is not so great at, and we'll see that more of it going forward. A lot of his hooks are quite dodgy. Um, and it kind of develops as he gets more into songwriting. Because this is, this is, you know, this is like his big, ambitious, proggy album, really, I would say, of, 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 of the lot. Like, it's got the most influences from outside of hip-hop. It's got a lot of collaborators on it. Um, and so, understandably, I think also he's got such a... He's got... He is a good songwriter, you know, and, and he clearly has inclinations towards writing actual songs rather than just crafting beats. He's not a beat maker. You know what I mean? He's, he's not Mad Lib. Um, so, you know, he's like, I want to have a chorus and a middle eight and an intro and an outro and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of his, a lot of his um, hooks can be a bit whack and a lot of the time you're just like listening to the same line four times and then that's the chorus you know what i mean <laughs> and that does creep in here a little bit it works best you know like when he gets trent Reznor in to sing the hook that's great you know that's that that that, that works really well but a lot of the time he's giving you a hook but he's not really giving you a melody because he's not a singer he's still kind of playing the rapper while giving you the pop hook and i, I think it's something he kind of still hasn't quite worked out even 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 in in 2021 or 2020 um so i i think you get a lot more of that on this album than you did on on fan on fandam graham fandam yeah um <laughs> <laughs> okay i just wanted to get that out of the way so we can just like talk about the album normally what, what is this album to you graham for me this album is step up on the drums i think and the beats like it's this whole album is a bit more you know there's some musicianship coming in like it feels like he's got people in uh to work with him a bit more it's, it's less of him on his own as you said it's quite a collaborative album he's got loads of people coming in singing and stuff um this also notable the first time that wilder zobi has come in to give him some synths uh -huh. Uh -huh. and he would play a big part in uh all of the coming albums you know uh and i think when they met I think he was just like, I want a synth that sounds like you're falling through space. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, he obviously did that for him. Um, and I think that was the start of their like collaboration. Um, I just remember this being quite a, a heavy album in terms of like the, the drums. Um, it, that it's up all night is like up and night is just sort of heavy drumming, but it sounds like real drums, not, yes right that is that is full of ma yeah it's not it's yeah it's not his typical sort of like busy drum sound because they they really have this like skittering feeling to them but um up all night yeah it feels it feels like drummers it's like a drum circle but really but really kind of like spazzed out and freaky and a bit a bit you know, yeah it was actually a bit much that you know it was it was you can tell he's like oh i like this you know <laughs> he's a bit he's a bit yeah. excited on that um because yeah, this is this is definitely a very maximalist 
full packed out album. It's also about 20 minutes shorter than the previous album. So he's really creating density, stripping back the quantity. You know what I mean? Like each, each song kind of has its role to play a little bit more. You don't feel like songs are just like, wow, I'm just getting whacked over the head with, with, with 20 songs here. This feels much more like his, his like, I want to be a part of those people that make albums. I want to be one of them, you know, rather than just like this, this rap guy. Um, yeah. Did you have, uh, did you have standout moments here? Yeah, I think, again, the overly dramatic truth for me is a real tune. Um, I didn't I realize. A, I that... think that's a really special song, honestly. Yeah. Um, Daryl Palumbo is, uh, does vocals on the track and keyboards. Really? Yeah, according to the, uh, to the creds. Wow, okay. Um, I think Camus is on it as well. Um, yeah, that's that's just a very big sort of emotional tune. Yeah, yeah. And this, oh, this whole album is him being a bit more inward, I think, you know, in terms of like the lyrics and stuff. A bit more political, a bit more inward as well. Not, yeah. We've kind of lost the whole party fun vibes. Um, oh definitely yeah there's no there's, i think as yeah, you there's... said it's the world that we were in at the time he's yeah kind of is yeah. um yeah that song the Over- overly dramatic truth the first time i heard it i was a bit like oh you know it's a bit it's a bit it sounds a bit maybe i thought it sounded a little bit dated sounded a bit 90s with, the, with like the guitar approach and you know, a bit of a trip-hop influence or something like that but it's really kind of stuck with me a bit um i think maybe it's that that you know that yeah it's just stuck in my head all the time really it's a really good hook and his performance on it like again he's kind of in character is this slightly deplorable character in a relationship and it's like pretty some you know some some pretty near the knuckle um lyrics on it uh even on the on the like chorus hook you know is it's it's pretty like wow um but the thing i really like about it is like his his little LP melodies, those sort of epic melodies that he likes to bring in, work so well on the chorus there, where it, it kind of keeps lifting each 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 bar that goes by. But also throughout the song, that technique he uses of having him interrupting his own vocals with the next line. You know, there's he's like constantly starting a new line before he's finished the one he's currently doing. It really has this feeling of like your mind racing and you're like really just like try, trying to spit these things out. Like he sounds so swept up in it. It's really, a, I think a very special performance from, from LP really impressive. It kind of comes out of nowhere. I don't think there's much of a precedent for it elsewhere. Um, he's Frank on other um, tracks, but I don't think he's that invested emotionally. Like he, like he sounds on that, like on stepfather factory, it's very ironic and sardonic and, and comedic you know there's nothing funny about 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 the overly dramatic truth there might be a lot of irony to his his point of view on it i don't know he might be feeling that in his writing but the performance feels really raw and honest it's, it's actually great one of his, one of his best songs i think i do uh, you mentioned it before but i do like the trent Reznor. Uh, is it fly fly ontology? fly ontology yeah that's that's a fun track <laughs> And he uses Trent Reznor really, really well. I heard him. I, I read a little quote of his where he was. He really liked that um, when uh, George Clooney appeared in South Park, he played a turkey. <laughs> you know, and it's like it's so cool to get a big, high-profile collaborator and have them just be like one little spot in it. And so it doesn't feel too much like the Trent Reznor track. You know, like the way the way they use 
Mars Volta is very choice. Does the guy from TV on the radio pop up on this album? Or another that album? That is I can't quite the remember. next album, I think. Okay, okay. Um, but but that's not like it's not like hey it's the guy from TV on the radio. It's used quite. It has its place, you know. So this doesn't feel like a big Billboard Trent Reznor moment. It's like that. This hook would suit Trent Reznor, and he, you know, it, it's probably one of the better hooks on the album. Um. Yeah, this is this is this is a great this is a great album. I, I I'm I don't know how often I would put it on personally because it's a very intense album. Um, yeah, I, and very dense. I found I don't think I listened to the next album. Uh, I think this is the first time I listened to the following album. But I think that I would put on a bit more because it's less. Um, it. it it's not as dark, even though it's got some dark themes. I think I Sleep When You're Dead is very much... Also, it just takes me back to the time a bit too much, I guess. Mm, but it's got some yeah. great tunes on there. And you know what, actually? the the You can tell from the Mars Volta feature that you can hear when it's from. Like the, it's, it's a little Cedric vocal and Omar guitar. And you can so tell that they, they're just off the back of Amputecture. Like, I can just... It really took me back. It's like, ah... Oh. Well, that was that, Graham. What a guy! Amazing. <laughs> nice guy. I bet. I bet he's a nice guy. One thing I. One thing I. I sort of um, refrain from mentioning on the podcast itself is uh, while we were while we were sort of doing the listening and the preparation for the LP episode, I, I, I he was just, he was, LP was on my mind a lot. Yeah? I kind of grew quite attached to... <laughs> you formed a bond with LP. Yeah, in a way, in a way. I just, I, I just find him very attractive. So anyway, <laughs> um, LP, LP, thank you so much, LP. Um, yeah, like... It, it, it's so weird to think of LP as being that that obscure underground figure. You know what I mean? It, now, now he's such a he's such a thing, and they're so culturally prevalent. Um, him and Killer Mike. The idea that he he used to be this kind of underground weirdo just seems completely anathema these days. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. People will see when they listen to the next part uh, of the episode just how different it gets you know, from these early days to the next step is crazy. His rise was very quick. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it just, it just happened one day. Yeah. As, as, that was my experience of it. It just happened one day. Um, next week, far fewer uh, creepy emo vibes, I would say, as well. You know, we're not going <laughs> to... That, that, those, 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 those aspects of the discography completely, completely disappear. But that's all, that's all fun for next week. Um, obviously, we're going to be dropping these, these episodes every Tuesday. That's 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 when we do it. Um, if you want to keep up to date with us um, and and stay current with the production wise stuff, uh, I would recommend subscribing to our nice podcast. You can find us anywhere you might reasonably be able to expect to find a podcast. Um, if people want to keep up to date with us in the meantime, stay in touch with us, Graham. What's the best way to do that? You can find us on Instagram at Production Wise Pod, and you can also find us on Spotify. Uh, why should people find us on Spotify, James? Every episode we release is paired with an extensive and dope playlist um, 
that kind of gives a nice indication of what the flavor, what the shape of that uh, producer's discography is. Graham also very cleverly includes the podcast episode in that in that playlist, so you're kind of all set. It's a one-stop shop for production-wise. Um, I hope you have a lovely week, Graham. Uh, yeah, I hope you do too. Thank you. All right, bye, everybody. See you next week. See you next Tuesday. Bye.